Life Audio. Today we're going to be talking about God's holiness that we see in Psalm 99. And there's two things that we're going to hone in on. The first is that God's holiness distinguishes God from humanity. And then the second thing is that God's holiness summons us to become more like him. So as we unpack that today, I really think it's going to bless you. Stay tuned. Hey friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus podcast. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? And how do you know the difference? Do you ever struggle to feel confident in your relationship with God and what he says in his word? Do you sometimes feel stagnant or like maybe you hit a wall in your spiritual life? Hey, I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, missionary, author, pastor, and life coach. And I have been there. I too was doubting God's voice in my own life. I felt insecure about my relationship with him and I wanted to be obedient to what God was calling me to do, but I wasn't quite sure how to figure out what that was. I felt like I was wasting time trying to figure it out and I just wanted a way to understand his will for my life. The answer for me was found in the pages of the scriptures as I learned how to understand what they were actually saying. If you're ready to grow in your faith and to step confidently into the calling God has for you, then join me as we dig deep into God's word so that you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we're in Psalm 99 and we are walking through the Psalms together as I share some culture and some history and some theology around the background of what's going on in some of these Psalms. I'm doing that because on the Hearing Jesus podcast, our goal really is to hear God's voice more clearly. And for Jesus, the Psalm book was his prayer book and his hymn book. For him and the disciples, it's the book that they reference more than any other book in the Old Testament. And so my thought is that if it was important to him, it should also be important to us. And so I read from the NIV. And if you have questions on any of this, you can always reach me. It's Rachel at shehears.org. We also have a Facebook page that's free to join. And I'm sorry, a Facebook group that's free to join, where you can ask questions, you can ask for prayer, you can get some accountability. It's just a great way to offer some community around some of the things that, that we're learning. And then also, If you haven't seen it already, we do some journaling prompts that go along with each of the episodes. You can get the current journaling prompts at the newsletter. You can find that at shehears.org. You can get previous journaling prompts through a guided journal at shehears.org on the resources page. I I pray that those are blessings for you. I'm going to be starting at verse one. The Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity in Jacob. You have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God. Though you punish their misdeeds, exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord, our God, is holy. Now you'll notice what we hear over and over is the Lord, our God, 
is holy. And so that's really the overarching theme we're going to be focused on today is the holiness of God. And so this is a hymn of praise, and it's talking about this declaration of God as holy. And it's describing holiness in terms of his sovereign reign and his justice and the way he forgives and the way he avenges. And those are all aspects of this character of God. And the reason why it's so important to read the Old Testament, to read the Psalms, is because it reveals the character and nature of God. God, which of course we know doesn't change. The same God that is in the pages of the Old Testament is the same God that's in the pages of the New Testament, and that's the same God that reigns today. And so as we learn these aspects of God's character and nature, it helps us understand how he operates today. Psalm 99 is sometimes said to be a hymn that is composed by um, the words that we hear in Isaiah 6-3. And if you remember, that's when the angels were singing, holy, holy, holy. And so that's this refrain that it's mirrored. We see that a couple different places in scripture. And so this idea of holy, holy, holy is really the undercurrent or the lens of how we are to look through Psalm 99. And now, if you remember, we're in book four of the Psalms, the Psalter, which is the book of all the Psalms together, is naturally divided up into five books. That's not to be confused with the books that I have, but these are the actual books in the scriptures. Depending on your Bible, it might do that for you and and show that to you. Maybe it doesn't. But in the time frame that this book four was written, we have to remember it was in either the late part of the exile or the early part right after the exile when Israel realized that they had been forgiven by God because of his grace, because of his covenant. And so after they have been punished by the exile, the exile was punishment for their sins. That was God's um, justification for, for how they had abandoned him. And they started falling after other gods and sacrificing their own children to other gods and all sorts of chaos. After that punishment, they emerge from this experience. And it's kind of like that story that we read about in Luke 15, where the prodigal comes home. Psalm 99 is this idea of God's holiness as this principle of renewal because of this old commandment, this old covenant, and the way that God continues to be holy despite our unfaithfulness to him. What we see in this passage is that Like in verse three, it says, let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. What we're realizing is that the Lord God is so awesome. And by awesome, when it's saying the, how awesome is your name, your great and awesome name, that word awesome is talking about inspiring and amazing and worthy of honor. And then how he's holy. And by holy, of course, we mean pure and perfect and complete and separate from evil. And so that even his name must be treated with the highest honor and respect. And so God is not to ever be treated as though he is a human being on the same level as we are. Because of course, you know, while Jesus was fully God and fully man, this aspect of God, God's nature, God's holiness, God's character, he is the creator of all things and he's worthy of honor and glory. And so his power and his authority and his purity and his justice, it's so far beyond anything that we can even understand. And I think sometimes that's the disconnect for us. Sometimes it's almost too much for us to comprehend what his holiness is. And so there's this tension that we have. We, we both love God 
and then we fear God. And when when it talks about fear, I always think of this sense of awe. And I'll tell you, one of the things that, that helped me understand the biblical understanding of, of fear, and of course, there is an element that we are to fear God in the sense that he is powerful and he can bring justice when we're disobedient and all those kinds of things. But this biblical idea of fear, um, I was I was in Kenya and as we were approaching the Great Rift Valley, which I don't know if you've ever seen it or heard of it, you can Google it if you've never seen the image of it. But as we were approaching the Great Rift Valley, there was an area where we had been ministering all all week, and it was in the middle of a drought. There was a drought for years that was so um, it was terrible for the for the, those people groups because there was a lot of death and you know their crops dried up and they couldn't feed their animals and all that kind of stuff. And in the area that we were ministering to, God sent rain. So much so that that area became green and then areas around it started to become green. And so we were leaving the country. And as we were leaving the country, we were driving through next to the Great Rift Valley. And we looked down to where we were and there was like the whole sky was gray. But there was this opening in the clouds and sunshine came down and it was it landed just in the area that we had just been. And it was such a clear example to me where we had gone, we had shared the gospel. And of course, there's lots of tribalism and all sorts of chaos that was going on in that in that part of the country. And we had been there that time, really just spreading the gospel and the love of Christ. And it was just such a powerful, vivid image for me that I found myself, we, we stopped at the lookout. I found myself leaning over the railing, like leaning in to just examine what God was showing me. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen anything like that before, something that's so beautiful and so amazing that you lean in and you kind of squint in your eyes a little bit and you are just so amazed by what God is doing and showing you. That is the biblical example a lot of times when we talk about the fear of God. It's that fear of, it's that that feeling of awe, like oh my gosh, like this is so much bigger than me. It's so much more than I can even comprehend. And so that's what I think of when I think about this idea of the the fear of God. Um, I think we're going to stop here real quick and we're going to hear a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we'll dive into the rest of the psalm. Stay tuned. So one of the aspects of fearing God is that while we both love him and fear him, if we trust him completely, we're also going to honor and respect him so much so that we will avoid anything that could offend him or bring his judgment or hurt him. And that includes avoiding using God's name as a curse word. And and I'm not trying to get super legalistic on you, but if you think about what it means to take God's name in vain, how can we do that in the context of having a loving relationship with him? And how must that make him feel to hear his children speaking that way about him? Just food for thought. I want to just point that out. Verse 6, let me read it. It says, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He called on the Lord and he answered them. Although God is holy and worthy of this highest honor and reverence and fear, He's revealed himself to us through Jesus, who is his son, who is also worthy of the highest honor and reverence. And so he desires for us to have this personal relationship with him. And he delights in hearing and answering people's prayers. It's not like God is sitting up there and we're bothering him when we pray. But yet he is longing to answer those prayers. He's longing to hear from us. And he's also longing to speak 
to us. I think sometimes we think prayer is just about us telling God what we need and us speaking to God. And how many of us want to speak, but we don't want to listen? It's a two-way, it's a two-way street. Because what's it say? He called, they called on the Lord and he answered them. Now, does that mean that the answer we get is always going to be something we like? No, sometimes the answer is no. You know, when my kids want to eat ice cream for dinner, I say no. Now, that doesn't mean we can't have ice cream after dinner when it's an appropriate time or on Saturday afternoon or something. It's a timing issue a lot of times. But I think sometimes we forget that as a good father, sometimes the answer is no. And we can't always see what he sees. We can't always know what he knows. And so sometimes his no or his not yet or his silence is because he loves us, not because he doesn't love us. And so we see throughout the scriptures, Moses and Aaron and Samuel, they're listed because they have this special relationship with God through intercessory prayer, where it wasn't just them telling God what they needed. It was they, they would tell the Lord, they would call on the Lord, and then the Lord would answer them. And not only would he answer them, they would be obedient to what it was that he was calling them to do. That's a powerful example for us. Verse 8, verse 8 says, O Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, and though you punished their misdeeds. God can both pardon and punish someone at the same time. And I think that is sometimes hard for us to understand. And so what I mean by that is he can forgive a person and restore their relationship to him, but still allow that person to experience the consequences of their action, especially if it's sin. And so I think that's important to point out that, that God, yes, is he merciful? Yes. Does he restore us to a right relationship? Yes. But is he going to rescue us from the consequences? Not always. Sometimes we have to deal with those consequences. If you think about this in terms of like a marriage relationship, if one spouse cheats on the other spouse, is there restoration available? Yeah. If both of them are surrendered to the Lord and they're both able to recognize their role and the sin that entered into that relationship, God can certainly work through that relationship. But is there still going to be consequence? Absolutely. What if, what if the other person got pregnant or what if, uh, I mean, there's a restoration of trust that's going to take time. There's going to have to be accountability. It's going to be more difficult than it was had that sin not entered into that relationship. There will be a consequence for the sin, but yet God can help restore that relationship. I think sometimes we forget that this forgiveness element doesn't automatically mean that it's not going to be difficult and we're not going to have to work through things. What we see throughout the psalm, as it says in different places, verse 3, verse 5, verse 9, it says, He is holy. We know that the psalms were often hymns. And so what a lot of scholars believe is this refrain where it says, He is holy. It may be a congregational response. But I also think it serves as a powerful reminder because we're talking about this holiness aspect. Holiness implies that God is distinct from human beings. And so it's not without significance that this is suggesting that a holy God loves justice. A holy God forgives sins. I mean, if you think about the call to be holy, all the way back in Leviticus uh, chapter 19, it's within this concept of describing what a holy life is. And the intention there is what be holy means in Israel's world. It may look a little bit different on how that plays out in our world, but that call to be holy 
is the same for us in the sense that it is chasing after what God calls us to do and living according to his righteousness. And that is not easy by any means, especially in the world that we live in. Temptation is everywhere. The temptation to sin is everywhere. This whole idea of, I call it the Burger King culture, have your way right away now. I mean, we have been permeated with that on every side, but yet God calls us to live differently. That call in back all the way back in Leviticus was be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And so if Israel should be restored to a new life after this exile that they've gone through, it must be founded on this foundational principle that Yahweh established in the first place before the exile even happened all the way back with this covenant relationship. And so Leviticus 19 is providing a description of what this mandate to be holy means and how it builds toward this commandment of love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's what we see in Leviticus. And so we often use that word holy in our conversations about God, assuming that everybody knows what it, what it means. But basically it's this word that implies that God is absolutely distinct from us as humans. And it's not just that. I mean, it's more than that, but it raises this issue of grace that God who is other than what we are, that he would allow himself to be accessed by us, our mere, you know, humanity, our, our earthlings that are so the opposite of holy and that he would put us into this intimate relationship with him. And so this human reaction to God's holiness it's, it's described in the scriptures as Habakkuk says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And so Psalm 99 is summoning that community of faith to do a vocal praise of this holy God. And I think that is important for us to recognize that the God's holiness is not an absolute separator, meaning it's not, it should be, but it doesn't completely separate us from who God is because of Jesus. And then there's this reciprocal relationship that goes back and forth because God holds up his character to Israel and he commands them to be like him. And then in the context of God's holiness, we understand that God's action is for us to pursue holiness. And yet humanity, which is the opposite of God, cannot be holy. And so what's that do? Well, in the Old Testament, it gives them the need for the, these um, sacrifices that would atone for sin and all of that. In the New Testament, it requires Jesus as the sacrifice. And so I, I've, I've mentioned this, I think, even just this week, where we send, tend to get all bent out of shape thinking, okay, I'm not, I can't ever be holy. Like, it feels overwhelming to think about me being holy and to pursue holiness. Well, of course, of course it does. Because we're not holy. We're opposite of God. God is holy. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need to ask Jesus for forgiveness of our sins. That's why we need to invite Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to fill our lives, to empower us to live and chase after the holy things of God. God knew that we were going to mess up. God knew that it was human nature for us because of the fall, because of sin, for us to succumb to the opposite of holiness, but yet he still made a way and a plan out for us. So our role is not to necessarily be like a miniature version of God. That's never going to happen. But instead, we are to reflect who he is. And are we going to mess up? Absolutely. Every day. 
But the, the goal here is to go back to him, to ask him for forgiveness, to ask him to empower us, to ask him to reveal himself. And that's where we go back to not just that prayer, but that listening where God answers us. It's through the context of that relationship that that's how, that's how our heart changes. That's how our relationship changes. That's how our behavior changes. That's how our prayer changes. That's how our, our conversations, every aspect of who we are is able to be held to a different standard because as we pursue our relationship with God and we lean into what God, we talked about this earlier this week, hating what God hates and loving what God loves. It's a process. And that's that big Bible word sanctification. That basically means that there's a process of becoming more like God. There's a process to trying to become more holy and to surrendering our hearts and our mouths and our minds and our spirits and our wills to be more like God. It does not happen like that. It's a discipline. We have to learn how to surrender those things so that we can become more like him. Okay, so given that insight, I'm going to go back and reread starting at verse one. The Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob, you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord, our God, is holy. God, we thank you that when we call on you, you answer us. God, help us to listen. Help us to not just seek you, but to listen to your response and for us to be obedient to what you called us to do. God, I thank you that when we call on you, you answer us. We thank you for this powerful example in scripture and that as we pursue the kind of holiness that is revealed in the pages of scripture, help us to recognize that that you know we're not going to get it right all the time. That's why you sent Jesus. That That's why you made this redemption plan for us. That in those moments where we are struggling with this idea of sin and what that looks like in our lives, that we can surrender those things to you because Jesus not only forgives us, but through the power of the Holy Spirit empowers us to live differently. Lord, I pray that that would be a reality for my friends today. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you are feeling like you need a little bit of one-on-one, that you are processing some of the things you're learning on this podcast and you need a little bit of accountability or you have questions or you need help, I want to let you know that I have made myself available to you. I have a couple hours a week available to do some life coaching and spiritual direction. If that sounds like something you're interested in and you want to find out more, you can go to shehears.org and go to the work with me page to find out more information and to schedule some time together. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more.
Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you for God's call on your life, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you this week. Know that you are loved, you are cherished, and you are His.